That's what I want to go to. Tell it on the mountain. That wasn't real hard. Sing it traditional. Sing it traditional. Tell it on the mountain. Now you can sing this, sing this. Sing it. Go, go, tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is Come on, come on, come on. Go, 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 tell it on the mountain. Over the hill. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. I love the fact, and in fact, my direction to them is we we can sing the same song and we can change it up a little bit so that it fits them. Them. And it fits us too. So there's nothing wrong. Same words, different tune, different tune. Don't let me start pulling out some of them old rhythm and blues songs that y'all updated. Let's thank the Lord for our young folk this morning and all they've done. Yes, they did a great job. And those who've been spending all this time helping them, we thank God for them. I tell you all the time that this is a laboratory for them. If you expect them to stay involved in church, be involved in church, then it has to be in, in interesting first. It has to be engaging. It has to be engaging. They don't look right when they just walk around with our clothes on. They don't. That, 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 that doesn't fit them. They need a relationship and can have a relationship with the Lord themselves right now. Right now. It just has to be, and it's our job, I believe. It's our job as leaders to make it a real and relevant relationship. I don't want them to have the skip in time that I had. Because I, yeah, I got to a certain point and I just said, forget this church thing. I'm not... It's not interesting to me. And, 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 and so, and thank God he kept me during that valley time when I was just out there trying and learning and doing everything. Thank God he kept me and allowed me to come back this way. And I can tell you this, that didn't happen when I started preaching. It was a track back. I had to take a long journey to get back to where me and the Lord had a good relationship. I would much rather them have a continuous relationship. Uh, with the Lord than to have to go through that period. So help us, help us do that. I know we've been here a little bit longer than we normally are on, on these early services, but, uh, but that's okay, that's okay. We've had a good time this morning, haven't we? Yeah, and there's a word, there's a word for, for you today, and it comes from the, the, the foundational scripture. Today is going to be Luke 2 and 12. Luke 2 and 12. Luke... Luke's writings frame much of our experience around the Christmas story. And the reason why we look to Luke so much is because of the depth of his writing, because he seemed to have been doing an investigative piece when he wrote this, when he wrote this,
passage of scripture. And then we get into it and we realize why Luke's writings were so in-depth. Because, see, Luke wasn't there when it was happening. And so in order for him to get it, he had to go to the eyewitnesses. And we find that one of his main witnesses was Mary. And Mary says she pondered these things. She kept them all in her heart. How many of y'all know that Mary was ready to tell somebody? Mary was waiting to tell somebody, well, let me tell you about when the Lord came to me and told me I was going to have this baby. Let me tell you how Joseph responded when I talked to him about it. Let me tell you about our trip to Bethlehem. She wanted to tell somebody about all this. And that's why Luke's writing, I'm sure he sat there and was just enthralled by what she told him. And thank God he was inspired and led to do it because now we have this narrative that allows us to peek inside one of the most blessed events that has ever happened in the, in the history of mankind. And that is the delivery of God. God becoming man. That's what this is all about. And let's look at this passage of scripture. Luke 2 and 12, Luke wrote, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. This shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the only scripture I want to lift for you. I'm going to touch some others as we go through it, and we'll see how fast they are back there on this new system with these scriptures. But uh, I don't know if they'll be able to get it, but we're going to try it today. We'll get better as time goes on. There was a story of two children who were dressed in ragged and outgrown clothes who found themselves outside in very bad weather. And they crowded inside the doorway of a house they didn't know the owner of. And they knocked on the door because they, they really had nowhere else to go. And when they knocked on the door, uh, they asked the lady inside if she had any old newspapers they were going to try to use to shelter themselves from the storm. And the woman was very busy when she came to the door, but of course something about this scene made her stop. Seeing the condition of the children, she beckoned for them to come inside and compassion immediately filled her heart. She saw that they had sandals on in this very tough weather. Their feet were soaking and cold. And so she said, come into the house and I'll make you a cup of cocoa. They said nothing because of course they needed to be warm. And they came into the house and sat down in front of her fireplace, their feet leaving little tracks along the way. And she came in a moment or two later with some hot cocoa and some toast and jelly, and they ate it voraciously and drank it as if they'd never had anything as good in the world. And she stood 
back watching them for a moment, and then she busied herself again with her housework. And she noticed after a moment that it was quiet in the room where the kids were. And so she went in, and when she poked her head in, she heard the boy ask this question, lady, are you rich? And she thought to herself that this must be a joke. And she looked around the room that she had grown to despise with the mismatched slip covers on her sofa. And she looked around the room at the worn places in the rug that she had been fussing to her husband about getting changed out. And, and then the little boy looked at her and said, your cup and your saucer match. And she sat there for a moment and she thought about it. And she realized just how rich she was in comparison to what other people call richness. She looked at the two children as they were leaving her house warm and fed and back on their way. And then she turned around and she realized that the meal she was cooking, the potatoes with the gravy, indeed made her rich. And she realized that her husband had a steady job and so indeed she was rich. And she also realized that the roof over their head constantly made her indeed a rich woman. As she tidied up her living room, she noticed that the two sets of footprints leading out of her house were still there and she decided she wouldn't clean them because she needed to be reminded every day just how rich she was. Small things, small things escape us. Small things get overlooked every day. In this land of largeness, in this land where everybody wants to live large, everybody wants the next biggest thing. In fact, everybody wants to be the next big thing. At this time of year, we often overlook the importance of small but important things. And so today, just for a minute, I want to concentrate on little things in the Christmas story. Little things in the Christmas, in the Christmas story. Yeah. God has a funny way of directing your attention to things you otherwise might overlook. God has a way of bringing the little up and pushing the big down. Yeah, God has a habit of inverting man's idea of what is and what should be. He'll make the second first. He does it all the time. You can go through scripture. I can count any number of brothers in scripture where the second one ended up being in charge of the first one. God does that. He does that, and he also has a habit 
of making us pay attention to things that we don't normally pay attention to. Yeah, there were a lot of big men in Palestine at the time of Jesus' birth. If God wanted to, he could have appropriated one of the palaces and made sure it was cleared out that there was a wing available, that there were nurses in attendance for his son's birth to be heralded. He could have done that. He could have made sure that everybody on earth paid attention to the moment in time when his son came. He could have done that if he wanted to. There were rulers in existence at the time. God could have made sure that each one of them beat a path to God, to his son's doorway. If he had wanted to, he could have orchestrated that. But he didn't do it that way. If you look at the narrative that God allowed to transpire during the birth of Jesus, it's not big things that he allowed to take place and be important, but it's all the small things that he put in our pathway. Interestingly, interestingly, he allowed Paul to write this passage. But God hath chosen the foolish thing. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that, that are. God flips the script on us all the time. One of the most encouraging thoughts to me is that God always, I love this, the West Indian that I am, and I don't mean from the West Indies, I mean I'm from West Indian. Yeah. God uses little people to do big things. Oh yeah, if you were depending on your name to get you there, some of us would be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, if you were dependent on the place of your birth to identify your worth and your notability, some of us got some problems because the, the, the railroad tracks is a preventer of some people coming in to see you. Yeah, yeah, some folk weren't born on the wrong side of the track, they were born on the track. But God has a habit of using little people to do big things. Yeah, yeah, God uses little people. You ought to write that down. If you've ever thought that you weren't worth a whole lot, I want to correct that in you right now. You need to know that you are, if that's the case, then you, you, you're perfect for what God needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's not going to send the CEO in to do the job and clean up the company. He's going to send the janitor in to teach him right from wrong. He has a habit of doing that. Now, he will use the CEO. But at the time, the CEO of Palestine wasn't on God's side. So he had to go use somebody else. Look, 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 look at some examples. Goliath was killed by little David. Nobody knew who David was. His brothers even talked about him. His family even made fun of him when he came around. 
He was not even respected in his family. Yeah. There was a little group, a little, a little tribe called the Midianites that is famous in Bible history because uh, they were so ruthless. And God allowed this ruthless band of Midianites to be killed by just 300 men. 300 men came and wiped out the entire tribe. Little Moses. You see, we always look at Moses from the perspective of, well, you know, he was in the Ten Commandments, and, 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 and they made movies about him. That's how you see Moses. But let's go back to then and see what Moses was the child of a slave girl. Moses was the child of a slave girl, and Moses was supposed to be killed. But the slave girl had faith enough to take her baby and float him down a river to an unknown destination, and but for God allowing Pharaoh's daughter to be bathing that day, who knows the end that Moses would have ever had. And so here the child of the child of a slave girl ends up being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. God can use little folk to do big things. That's right, but God, yeah. Naaman, Naaman was sent to Elijah and was go Elisa and was going to turn around without the blessing except for the fact that a little slave girl schooled him. God uses little people to do big things. You know we don't have to stay in the Old Testament. We can go also in the New Testament when God allows a little boy with a little lunch to do big things. Just because he showed up prepared. It's not mentioned in the Bible. You won't get a, in the Bible often, but you won't get a whole lot of folk who will say otherwise, Paul was a little man. He was. Paul was a little man. And this little man wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Yeah, Paul. And look what God did with a little girl named Mary. Nobody knew her. You could have gone into any, if we put it into a modern-day context, you could have gone into any, any small area of the city. She was just a girl who was trying to live right, who wasn't doing what everybody else was doing, and God found found favor in her. God uses little people. Reverend Smalls, why are you telling me that? Because too many of us think too little of ourselves. Too many of us think that I can't be used by God because I'm nothing important. And what I want you to know is God thinks you're most important. And God has something for you to do if you make yourself available to him because God uses Little people. Yeah. But not only does God use little people, God also uses little possessions. Folk come here all the time and say, I don't have anything. But you don't have to have anything big. Whatever it is, just use it. Folklore has made a little boy who had nothing but a drum. That ain't in scripture now. Don't go tell anybody you read in scripture about the little drummer boy. All right, I don't want to hear you say that. But folklore has made him, he said, I have no gifts to bring. We're always looking for something to put in a box. 
How about just the ability that God has given you? If you can talk, talk for the Lord. If you can sing, sing for the Lord. And he'll use the possessions that you have. Jesus, the king of the universe, didn't come wrapped in silk, nor was he adorned colorfully in purple, as was the majestic color of that day. He didn't have the clothing of royalty, even though he was the son of the king most high. But Jesus came wrapped in some, now, I want you to understand in context that these were just rags. We, we put a term on it that makes it sound sweet and everything. We say swaddling. Swaddling clothes, all right? You wouldn't put swaddling on your baby. I can tell you right now, you, if somebody came and dumped some swaddling clothes in front of you, because swaddling clothes, was, it was the rags that they wiped the animals off with. That's what was available to Jesus Christ. The king of the universe, the one who stepped out of heaven into earth, that's what was available to him to be wrapped in. God uses little possessions for his glory. But how many of you know how much those swaddling clothes would sell for on eBay right now? Just because Jesus was wrapped in it. Yeah, if somebody said by chance we found the swaddling clothes. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. God takes small things and uses them for his, for his glory. Look, 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 Samson took the jawbone of an ass to do battle for God. A, a jawbone. Yeah. Jesus told the illustration of how much he cares for little sparrows. Yeah. It's, a, it's not in a large voice. Many of you were nervous last night because the storm was raging and you could hear the wind blowing. But don't you know that even though God could speak to you in the roar of huge sounds, in the wind as it pushes through, he doesn't. He speaks to us in a, a still, small voice, which is why parents used to say all the time, go sit down somewhere and listen to God. Because you can't hear him with all that noise going on around you. Go be quiet. And, and look, that's, a, that's an admonition to adults as well. Get everything else out of your ears. Get all the folk off and listen. Listen to God as he attempts to speak to you. And look, look, look. It could have been the top theologian in Jerusalem at that time that could have corrected Peter after Peter famously denied God, Jesus Christ three times as he had been prophesied to do. It could have been one of the other disciples trying to upbraid their brother because of his failures and his weakness. But God, through Jesus Christ, allowed Peter to be upbraided and corrected by the sound of a little crow. Small things. Just because Peter heard a cock crow, he knew that he had betrayed our Lord and Savior. 
It wasn't Saul's big breastplate of armor. No, it wasn't his large sword that allowed David to have the victory in the battle. In fact, God, uh, David said famously, these don't fit me. When confronted with the kings, now who, any man would have taken pleasure in being, in being given the king's mail on his armor. And David threw it aside and went to the brook and picked up a small stone. And he used a little sling. And with a little sling and a small stone, he took down big Goliath. God uses little possessions. Little possessions. One, one poet said this, I have not much to offer to Christ my Lord and King. No wealth, no might, no wisdom. No noble gifts to bring. Five loaves and two small fishes? But what, alas, are they among the throngs of hungry who crowd life's troubled way? Five loaves and two small fishes. Not much, my friend, tis true, but yield them to the master and see what he can do. Place in his hands of mercy, thy little will be much. Tis not the gift that matters, but alas, the master's touch. God can use little people. God can use little things, possessions. Not only that, I like the fact that God uses little places. Yeah. Who? 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 You wouldn't be able to find Bethlehem without a GPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be standing in the middle and not know, is this the famous Bethlehem? Is this what they've been talking about? Yeah, Bethlehem was the place, the place that our Savior was born. No, no, not Jerusalem, not the seat of power, not the large metropolis where everybody converged to learn everything. God didn't allow the big thing that was happening on earth to happen in Jerusalem. Instead, in a far place called Bethlehem. I love the fact that Bethlehem was so remote the only way you could get there was by following a star. No one else could have told you how to get there. And nobody else, Danny alluded to it in his sermon a couple of weeks, no one else could have told you the direction to Bethlehem, the celestial event that took place when that star was hung in the sky, in the sky did not follow the normal path of a star being placed in the sky. That star hung there for years directing the way. Now I bet you can't find any astrologers to tell you that a single star in the history of mankind has ever reached a point in the sky and stayed there pointing the way. It had to be a true placement because the wise men traveled from so far the star couldn't move. It had to stay there the whole time to direct them, but a little star, that's where we get the twinkle, twinkle. 
little star. Small places need to be illuminated by God's graces. And so don't you worry about where you come from. Don't you worry about the importance of the place. In fact, I can tell you this, nobody knew where Hope Arkansas was until a boy named Bill Clinton came out of there. Nobody even cared about stopping in Hope, Arkansas. No, 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 nobody. There's a little village in South Africa now that's on the map. And nobody knew about that little boy when he came up. Nobody knew when his daddy gave him a name, his tribal name meant troublemaker. Nobody knew about him until uh, Mandika came up out of it. On his way to becoming Nelson Mandela. Nobody knew who he was. But now the world knows. See, if you allow God to use you, folk will find out where you're from. In fact, I bet it's folk now trying to make sure their babies can get born in that little village. Got to be something in the water around there. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to make it a destination point, I guarantee you. From now until man is not here anymore, people will be beating a path to a little village in South Africa. Just so they can say, we went to Nelson Mandela's grave. His grave. That's what happens when God uses you. So don't worry about where you come from. Don't worry about whether it's important or not. You just do God's will. Do what God tells you to do, and you'll find that God will make a pathway to wherever you're from. See, see God allows the places he use, uses to become significant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was born in a borrowed manger? Borrowed. In fact, to be honest with you, they just busted up in there. And I don't want you to get this picture that this was some nice wooden dwelling. This was a cave. This was a cave that they kept the animals in to get them out of the elements. And that's, there was no room in the end now. There was no room in the, in the, in the, in the habitable, habitable places. They had to move into a cave because it was free. But not only was he born in a cave, how about he died on a bar, a little old bar cross. Never had anything to call his own. God has a way of using not only little people, not only does he use little possessions, he also uses little places. All of these things are used by him to tell the story. And last but not least, you need to know this. He uses little performances. Everybody wants to preach. Everybody wants to preach. Yeah, yeah, nobody just wants to greet. Nobody just wants to say good morning. Don't you know your good morning is as, more, is as important as my word? Your grip, your hug of somebody can be as meaningful as the word that I'm preaching from here. It's not always in the largeness of what you do. Love somebody. Let it show genuinely. And God can use that performance to greet somebody. The famous theologian D.L. Moody 
was won to Christ not by one of the famous preachers of the day, but by a traveling shoe salesman who came in and had the love of Christ in his heart and told D.L. Moody about God and what he had done in his life and his son, Jesus Christ, and that converted D.L. Moody to his faith in Christ. Pilgrim's Progress, which many of you have read growing up, yeah, Pilgrim's Progress was just a little old bitty Christian classic. Many folks don't know that it was written from a prison cell. Small things, small places, yeah, and small performances. So what is it that God has given you to do? What is the thing that you've overlooked because you say it's not enough for me? It doesn't fit my personality. It doesn't fit my stature or my status in life. I'm here to tell you that God can allow whatever it is he's given you to do to blossom into the most significant thing you've ever seen. Small performances can become performances that, that demand a standing ovation. I can tell you it was not the 27 years that Nelson Mandela stayed in the prison. No, that didn't do it. It wasn't all the time he spent with ANC before he went into prison. That didn't do it. I wish I could point to one single writing that he made while he was in prison, like the famous letter from the Birmingham jail that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote. I haven't found one yet from Mandela. There probably is one out there. But I can tell you there was one performance that emboldened and brought a country together. One performance. When Mandela walked out of prison and thrust his hand into the air, an entire country knew that 27 years have not beat me down. I was up when I went in and I'm up when I came out. And that's what changed a country. Not his speech, but his performance made the difference. What is it? that God is asking you to do. I guarantee you that there's something. I guarantee you that if you look close enough in this Christmas season, you will find something that you've been overlooking. If you look close enough in this Christmas season, you will find that God has been pointing you maybe to a place who needs your attention, maybe to a person who needs your attention. Maybe there's something he wants you to do, but it's not until you get all the big stuff out of your face that you can pay attention to the small stuff. Little things make the difference. Isn't it interesting that God didn't send Jesus here grown? Isn't it interesting that he didn't allow him to just come as the conquering savior that he is, but he allowed him to come here as a little, a little bitty baby. Look, 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 where's Cecil? Look how vulnerable he is. Jesus was like that. Jesus depended on somebody to do everything for him. Jesus needed somebody to teach him how to be a person, how to be a man. Cecil, that's your job. You got to teach him how to be the best little Cecil he can be. That's your job. And when God blesses you to teach him that, 
then he can use them in his service. And that's what happened with Jesus Christ. It's the little things you do, the little time you spend with him that makes all the difference in the world. This little time we spent this morning has probably told somebody that I need to be closer to this man named Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better for me to give him than me. He doesn't want your money because he doesn't need your money. No, 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 he doesn't. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you not to be in charge of you anymore. He wants your heart. He wants to direct you. And so now, God has given me this small task, and that is to tell folk about him and to invite you to become a part of his family. And I'm inviting you right now to do that. I'm inviting you to be a part of his family. Do you believe in the little baby? Do you believe that he lived? Do you believe that he was born in the manner that they say he was born in? Well, I've got news for you. If you only believe in the baby, that's not enough. You gotta believe in the baby who became a man, who went to a cross, who died for us all. You can't stop at the baby in the manger because he's not a baby anymore. No, no, he's a grown up savior right now. And I need you to believe in the baby that grew into a man who died on the cross for you. But he didn't stay dead. Scripture says he was resurrected. And that's the one we, we celebrate. So really, on Christmas, we're celebrating the risen Savior. Because Christmas makes the resurrection meaningful. So if you're here today, if you decided that you're going to give yourself to the Lord as his Christmas present, then I invite you to come right now as they sing a song. The doors of the church are wide open. Come on. <laughs>